So welcome to week three of our We Are Here series, part two of this series that we started back in the winter earlier this year. And it's a bit of a different week. It's a bit of a different series. It's like family talk. And that's okay. That's a good use of our time together. We're taking time to reflect on where we've come from as a church, where we're going, where we're going as a church. And that involves some teaching for us. It involves rooting ourselves in the way of Jesus, but it also involves putting life to our future, putting life to our present. Last week, we heard from Jen. She happens to be my pastor, by the way. So that was a lot of fun for me. Yep, in East Toronto. Just manifest for us. What does this look like even now, let alone in the future, in one of our local communities? And that may look different across all of our church families across the meeting house. But today is Q&R day. So you notice I said Q&R and not Q&A. So why did I say that? These are questions that we're going to process today that we've been gathering from across our communities in recent weeks and months as we've talked more and more about the future that we sense God is calling us to. And answers are good. There's nothing wrong with answers. And clarity can be kindness, and we keep wanting to strive for more clarity. But sometimes questions give us an opportunity to go further than just looking for answers, don't they, as Christians? Questions give us an opportunity to reflect, to disciple one another, to enter into the process of growth through patience, through listening, through discerning with one another. So I invite us to think of this as Q&R day, not just as Q&A day where we're looking for a vending machine to all of our answers, but we're, we're sitting in some of the questions and we're seeing what God has to say to us in some of them. And we'll mix in a little bit of clarity along the way too. So just by way of recap, a couple weeks ago, we introduced this possibility of what if we're not able to get to where we're going from exactly where we are today. And what if what Jesus requires of us is to enter into the process of death and resurrection, of laying down our life in order to find it, of letting the seed fall into the soil in order to multiply and spread and bring new life. And what if that's not just an abstract concept for us, but in the kingdom, that's actually a really meaningful and very real spiritual principle that's at play, that Jesus modeled for us and taught us to behave in our own lives as individuals and as churches as well. And we talked about how church reform and church change and church revolution involves so much more than just restructuring and dollars and cents. In a way, it better include those things because that's what makes it real and shows us that we're committing. But underneath all of that has to be a strong why. Why are we doing what we're doing? Why are we headed where we're headed? And we reminded ourselves that we're evolving as a church because God is inviting us into a more and more Jesus-looking, Jesus-like version of ourselves. One that is a community of people like you, like our locations across Ontario, like our online community, locking arms and discipling one another, but being embedded in our local communities, being empowered to be on mission, incarnating in the world, reaching our spiritually curious family members and neighbors and friends on mission together. There's a deep why behind where we sense Jesus calling us, and that's just as important, if not more important, than the what. And then last week, Jen talked to us a little bit about how that's manifesting in her community, just as one illustration. And today, like we said, we're back to Q&R. So let's dive in with some of these questions. Even as we ask some of these too, I'm going to pause before we start and say, it's an exciting time for us as a church community because even the way we go about seeking answers to our questions as a church is changing. Just this week, we're going to have the first meeting of our network development team, which is a team of people that represent all of our communities coming together to work collaboratively to discern where God is leading us as a church family. 
that's something to be excited about, even just in the way that we're sharing power and listening to each other as a community and trying to discern our way forward. So let's be praying for that team. Let's be praying for that process over the coming months. So let's dive in. Here's some questions that we've been responding to or receiving in recent weeks and months. The first one, are we just being reactive? Why now? Why are we talking about change now? Is this just in response to everything that's happened to us over the past year or couple years? So let's reflect on that together. Yes, in a way, of course we need to respond to our environment. And we wouldn't necessarily have chosen to be exactly where we are as a church, but we serve a God who's ready to work good out of all situations for those of us who love him and are called according to his purpose, don't we? But what I think is beautiful and important to remember is that this concept of becoming more and more locally focused and embedded and becoming a network of churches isn't actually new. It's not something that we've just invented overnight. For those of us who have been around the meeting house for any length of time, even if we rewind to pre-COVID, you may recall us talking about the idea of evolving from one church with many locations to one family with many expressions. This idea of expressing ourselves uniquely in our local communities based on what God's doing in that place and space. So in a way, this concept has been resonating with us as a community and we've been hearing God say it to us for years. And for various reasons, we just haven't been quite as able as we would have liked to be to commit to structuring ourselves around it and chasing that dream and following Jesus into it. And some of that is our own doing. Some of that is circumstances well beyond our control. So we can lament in a way the fact that we are here out of necessity now. But at the same time, it's always the right time to do what Jesus is asking us to do, right? Jesus is a now kind of God, and we have choices to make today, so we have the ability to make those and partner with Jesus in those. So we are responding to our situation, but it's also beautiful that this has actually come from years of discernment and listening to what God's been saying to us as a community, and that's been reinforced in recent months, that this isn't just reactive. This is something that we feel like God's been calling us to for a while. So another question. Ready? This is a hot one. Okay. Will we change our name? And our identity. I wonder if you've spent time thinking about that. No, yes, some of you have, some of you haven't. Some of our communities have. Some of them maybe haven't been thinking about that so much. But it's a question we receive a lot. It's a fascinating question. If we're going to follow Jesus' teaching, then we need to think seriously about what it means when he invites us to lay our life down in order to find it. And what it means to be building and shaping new wineskins to carry the new wine of the kingdom in any given moment that Jesus has to pour for us. So we need to be, I believe, holding this question loosely and be open to the possibility of our identity looking different in the future. But there's a few different angles we could look at this from. On the one hand, we worship a God of redemption, don't we? A God who's constantly redeeming broken things, bringing new out of the old. And in that sense, running away from our identity out of a sense of fear, or out of a sense of shame, doesn't feel like very good vision fuel and it doesn't feel like we're following the God of redemption that makes new things out of old things. So maybe that resonates with you. I just say to that that um, you can change your name, but if you were a skunk, you're still going to be a skunk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
like myself. I, before I was a Christian, I was a sinner. And I, I struggle with that every day, and I ask for forgiveness of that. But God, well, I got a new life. God didn't say, okay, now you're Trevor. I'm still Ken. And everybody recognizes me as Ken. And I have to go forward with that. You got it. Yeah, absolutely. There's so much truth in what you've said. <laughs> if we do just look to change our name or bring in a new identity without the heart change that comes underneath, underneath that, something doesn't feel right about that, does it? Now, at the same time, if something new does emerge, if God breathes new life into something, maybe it feels natural at that point that a new name and a new identity emerge for whatever that new thing is. Maybe that is the God-honoring thing to do at that point in time. But I think the principle we're centering around here is if we were to change our identity, which we should never just cling on to, it's got to be for the right reasons. And it's got to be at the right time. And it also takes a lot of investment and energy to do that well. And our sense is that leading with that idea is maybe not our first priority. But let's wait and see if something new does emerge and if we feel naturally called to invest in it together. I'd love to even just root that concept scripturally for us. If we look at 2 Corinthians 7, you can give me a second. Second Corinthians 7, 10 to 11. It says, for the kind of sorrow God wants to experience leads us away from sin and results in salvation. So when we experience suffering or uncomfort, discomfort that actually leads to us inviting the Spirit to transform us through repentance. That's the kind of sorrow that God can work with. There's no regret for that kind of sorrow. But worldly sorrow, which lacks repentance, results in spiritual death. When we're just changing the surface because we're uncomfortable, without that process of inviting the Spirit to transform us and repent, that leads to spiritual death. That really resonated with me, what you said there. So, some things to think about about our identity. But that's a question we'll have to face. Okay, another question we receive a lot. What about teaching in our new world, in our new way forward? Will we continue to value that as a church? So that's the first thing we, we really want to drive home. Biblical teaching is critically important for us as a church. It's very, very important. It's our source of truth. It equips us to live out our vision and our mission of following Jesus and becoming more like him. Especially as Anabaptists, we value scripture heavily. The small W word of scripture points us to the big W word of Jesus. So we want to root ourselves there because that's how we learn about Jesus teaching and how to follow him. Jesus was known as a teacher, wasn't he? And throughout the New Testament, the importance of teaching to the early church was reinforced, reinforced over and over and over again. So this is something really important for us to understand as a church family. Moving towards a new, more network-looking future doesn't mean we're getting rid of the importance of teaching in any way, shape, or form. Couldn't be further from the truth. But there are a lot of things that are fundamental to a church's ministry that can be hard for an independent church to do on their own. And teaching is one of those ministries that takes a lot of time and energy and research and homework to build that theological foundation. And we don't want to take that for granted because that's a bedrock that we have the privilege of having underneath us at the meeting house. 
So that becomes one of those things that we think there's value in continuing to share together as a church going forward. The idea of making teaching available that our local communities can use on a regular basis, but also inviting them to make that choice more and more about whether they want to engage their leaders in the teaching gifts that they have locally on a regular basis or use the teaching that we might share and provide across all of our communities. And even beyond that, what we've already started to invest in is just supporting and coaching our pastors and others who have teaching gifts in their communities so they can develop those gifts. So the teaching is actually something that we're spreading and multiplying as a gift across all of our communities. So is teaching going to continue to be important? Absolutely it is. Even if we don't know exactly what that would look like, it's very much a core value for us. Okay, this next question. Why do we need a network anyway? Why do we need each other? In my experience, there is a healthy and an unhealthy version of this question. And I think and I believe most of the time we're asking the healthy version of it. But maybe we can start with the unhealthy version of it. There's a sense of when we ask this question, sometimes it can be from a, so what's really in it for me perspective? And I believe and we believe that absolutely we need to hold each other accountable as church family. But I don't know about you. I don't think it would be very well received if I showed up at my family dinner table and asked my wife and daughter, okay, everybody, so remind me why I need you tonight. <laughs> Justify your existence for me tonight, please. Let's talk. We laugh, right? But that would just be a pretty dysfunctional family if we showed up at the dinner table and actually said those words to one another. So maybe we can take our, our cue from Scripture here again as we talk about this. We'll go back to Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 12. 21 to 27. Maybe I can find it a little bit faster this time. So Paul's talking about the concept of us being one body. And he says, starting in verse 20, Yes, there are many parts, but only one body. The eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. The head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. In fact, some parts of the body that seem weakest and least important are actually the most necessary. And the parts we regard as less honorable are those we clothe with the greatest care. So we carefully protect those parts that should not be seen, while the more honorable parts do not require this special care. So God has put the body together such that extra honor and care are given to those parts that have less dignity. This makes for harmony among the members so that all the members care for each other. If one part suffers, all the parts suffer with it. And if one part is honored, all the parts are glad. All of you together are Christ's body, and each of you is a part of it. Hmm. Interesting. So there's several principles in there, aren't there? This idea that humility and unity can actually be born out of our need for one another. This idea that we have equal concern for one another. So this pushes back on our tendency to create a hierarchy, doesn't it? It pushes back on our temptation to indulge our self-sufficiency and our pride. And what's interesting is it's a, it's a gentle rebuke and it's an encouragement to both those who think they have need and those who think they don't to remember that we're actually all part of the body together and we all need each other. It's a really good reminder to me that God's economy doesn't work like the world's economy. God's economy doesn't keep score the same way as the world does. The church has never existed that way and nor should we as a group of churches looking to exist together. I'm also reminded of 
Jesus' parable of the workers in Matthew 20. I think one of the main points of which is that when we feel like we're really important, we're going to be surprised by how grace works in the kingdom. And I feel very convicted by that reminder from Jesus. So, we've talked a little bit about a potentially unhealthy version of that question, but I believe oftentimes we ask the healthy version, and I'd love to crescendo to that and end there. There are good reasons to ask the question of, so why do we need to be a network anyways? Why do we need each other? And maybe just as a bit of a recap or to just dive a little bit into that, we can touch on a few of those points. I believe that part of the value in us being connected together is because our Anabaptist, Jesus-centered roots and ethos are precious. They're rare. They're important because they have something to offer Jesus to the world around us. And maintaining and stoking the fire of that DNA is hard to do as independent units that aren't connected together. And we're better at that when we're doing it together and encouraging each other across diversity of expressions. And even in Ontario, there aren't very many of them. And we have an opportunity to continue to be that presence in the world around us. We believe that being local communities is worth it, but it's also hard to do on our own without support and encouragement and resourcing from a bigger body that allows us to focus our energy on being the local church together. We believe that those with gifts of administration are critical to the church. But again, sometimes that can take away from doing local ministry on the ground. So pooling some of those resources together makes sense. The same as it does with some of our core ministries, like kids and youth and compassion, etc. So those are principles we've always lived out at the Meeting House that we don't want to just necessarily let go of or throw the baby out with the bathwater, even if we have to think differently about how we shape and structure some of those resources going forward. So I mentioned kids and youth. There's another question that we've been getting. It's a great question. So where is kids and youth and compassion in all of this? Bottom line is, those are core values and core principles to us that aren't going anywhere. Whether you're single or married or have kids or don't, kids and youth are the future of our church. The next generation is one that we need to be investing in and pouring in and discipling and offering opportunities in our church. Same with compassion. That's core to who we are, isn't it? The idea of giving of ourselves, our financial resources, our time, our energy, to pour into the need in our local communities, to serve the poor, to love the marginalized. This isn't just nice to have stuff. This is core to our following of Jesus in our communities. So we want to hang on to those principles, even if we do need to just think a little bit differently about how do we adapt those in a new wineskin for the church that we're becoming. But it's really important that we understand that those are not things that are going anywhere anytime soon. I just heard of a, a meeting that our kids coordinators from across our communities had recently where they started sharing best practices and learnings from one another, which is such a simple idea, but it shows the beauty and the power of being a network together where we're learning from one another and sharing with one another and then going back out into our local context to do ministry the way God's inviting us to. And we don't want that to stop. So believe it or not, sometimes we get questions about money. <laughs> and that's okay. Money should never be a, a taboo topic for us as Christians. Jesus talked a lot about money. He talked a lot about the power of money and the danger of falling in love with it. But ministry isn't free either. And it's something that fuels our ability to get out there and be Jesus' hands and feet. So sometimes we get the question of how will we afford this future? What does it look like for us financially? And the point here isn't to do a financial lesson. But again, I think there's discipleship in this question as we reflect on it together. And the truth is there's no 
magic answer in the direction that we feel God calling us to in terms of solving all of our financial problems. Sorry, was that spoiler alert? <laughs> Just doesn't work like that, unfortunately. But we do think that the path that we're carving forward, it offers us a way to financial health. See, if we feel compelled by an idea, whether it's a new entrepreneurial activity or something that you feel is just going to be really exciting in your life, typically what happens is we, we want to pursue that idea with all of our energy because we believe in it. And we figure out ways to resource it, don't we? And how much more so is that or might that be or should that be true within God's kingdom? When we're compelled by where the Spirit is leading us, it doesn't mean that we just blindly follow and don't think that we have a part to play. Of course we do. And we need to generate resources and we need to put our skin in the game as it were. But we trust that if we're following Jesus together, he's leading us someplace that's healthy and that resources will come along with that. So I just offer that as a paradigm for us to think through that doesn't exonerate us from doing our work, but we start with where Jesus is calling us and our commitment to follow him and we trust as we partner with him that resources come along from that. So in terms of where those resources come from, some people might be surprised to know that our giving collectively is what funds this church. We don't actually receive income from any other source other than some rentals that we do in our Oakville facility, which is wonderful. But we don't get money from the government or from other agencies. It's our collective giving that fuels the ministry that activates this church. So in that sense, going forward, our hope and our expectation is that as we partner with our local communities to develop local visions that manifest the kingdom in our neighborhoods and in our cities, more and more people will see the light and the salt and the work of Jesus and want to get engaged and partner with us. And so we're hopeful that our church would grow. And that's not something we should be ashamed of. Not so that we're financially sustainable or rich, but because we want to see more kingdom activity happen, but that resources might come along with that. And we're hopeful, and we've already started to see this, that some people who have maybe taken a pause or been waiting on the sidelines would see that we're listening to how Jesus is calling us forward and be encouraged to join back in with our mission and be giving as well. We talked about having grace for one another, but at the same time, we do want to have a healthy amount of accountability for the different churches that are in our extended community as the meeting house. And so we do want to put in place ways to measure and review and monitor that we're all tracking together and we're all contributing to this as well. And that's part of what will make us long-term sustainable too. So we talked about some ways that we need to generate some additional resources. We also want to make it clear to our church community that we're continuing to lower the amount of money we spend on ministry to match the amount of income that we have. And that just feels like something that's very important to say. We anticipate that this new way forward would cost a little bit less because we'd be a little bit smaller and we'd focus on some different things. And even our staff team over the last couple years has reduced in size quite a bit. Some of that, most of that has been voluntary, but God's grace has even been in that because it allows us to right size to the footprint that we need to be um, in a way that might not cost us as much as, as if we had had to do that all um, on our own. So this concept of generating some additional sources of giving, but also continuing to reduce our costs and do the work to be responsible with the resources that we have, together work towards us building a sustainable future. And in the meantime, we may very well need to have some transition funding that helps us get from where we are today 
to where we want to get to as a sustainable future, a bridge, so to speak, between those two points. And so we'll be talking more with our community about that as we get more, more clear on exactly what that need looks like in the months to come. But there's some thinking on how this might actually be something that's viable for the longer term. So where do we go from here? I've mentioned a couple times, we've talked about it in recent weeks, that we've started to form a team called our network development team that's even meeting this week for the first time. And the point of that team is to represent our communities and give voice to the shaping of what we might call a shared commitment or a shared covenant that represents what are we committing to together as we move forward as a church family. Something we can nail to the doorpost that says, this is who we want to be and who we think God is calling us to be in the next iteration of our church life together. And that shared covenant will cover some really important things like our identity and our purpose, the roles and responsibilities of different players and different parties inside of a network, how we want to govern ourselves, what our finances look like, things like that. And so the idea is that before the end of this year, maybe we start to have a first version of what it looks like to be the next iteration of ourselves as the meeting house going forward. And we've talked over the recent year about moving through stages as a church. We were in a triage stage for most of 2022, dealing with a lot of crises and challenges that were coming at us. And none of these phases just end overnight for the next one to begin, but we've kind of evolved from that into an interim season where we've started to discern as we've been doing and think about where is God calling us and enter into the process of healing and recovering together. And we now sense that we're on the cusp of moving out of that interim season into this transition season, that maybe by the end of this year, we're starting to see the light of what the future looks like for us as a church. And we're supporting our communities and starting to develop what their local visions look like and how this manifests for them locally. And at that point, maybe we start this cycle of Discerning, trying, learning, adapting, and repeating, and praying the whole time. <laughs> discerning, trying, learning, adapting, repeating, praying the whole time. Discerning, trying, learning, adapting, repeating, praying the whole time. And this cycle continues to repeat. And maybe that transition period lasts a year. Maybe it lasts a couple years, and we're monitoring, and we're watching to see what Spirit's saying to us, what we're learning, to make sure that things look healthy. So this is a multi-year process that we're entering into. It's not going to happen overnight, and it's going to take patience. But it is exciting to say that we're, we're setting sail on something here. And even by the end of this calendar year, maybe we have a little bit more clarity about what it looks like. I'm challenged by that, because I'd love all the answers today. I don't know if that resonates with you. But I've been reminded that small steps of faith lead to transformation over time. And if we're faithful with one step at a time, God meets us there, and we can take another one together. So I'd love to pray a prayer for us that's resonated with me a lot in recent weeks. It's from Paul's letter to the Philippians. And it reminds us of what our purpose is when we engage together, when we interact together, when we're in community together. Starting at verse 9, Paul says, I pray that your love will overflow more and more and that you will keep on growing in knowledge and understanding. For I want you to understand what really matters so that you may live pure and blameless lives until the day of Christ's return. May you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation, 
the righteous character produced in your life by Jesus Christ, for this will bring much glory and praise to God. Jesus, will you help our love to overflow more and more and for that to be the purpose and flavor of our interactions with one another in our relationships and our way forward as a church. Amen. Amen. So what else can you do? I'd love to invite you to commit to this process together, not necessarily be focused on one particular outcome, but commit to the process of transformation Jesus is inviting us to. To be praying together, really seeking God, asking and knocking and seeking God's face together as a church. Asking your your peers and your leaders, how can I get involved? What can I do to commit? Thinking about giving of our time, of our resources together, but committing to the process of surrender, of death, of resurrection, of laying our lives down in order to find new life together. And if you're new and you're just checking us out, there's no rush But for those of us who call us this a church home, would we commit to that process together in the days and weeks to come? Amen. Amen. Amen.